Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Anyone who can get out, get out right now. Do not look up, do not make eye contact, just go. Hey there, Hollister. Hey there. The Money Monster. So the big event taking place in the film world this week and running through May 22nd is, of course, the... Cannes Film Festival. That's right. And guess who was there for the premiere of their film? We were not. But other than that, I have no idea. (laughs) Well, as they say, c'est la vie. But yes, the cast of Money Monster. So... Three Oscar winners collaborated on this movie, and I have three points about the three Oscar winners behind Money Monster that I just wanted to make in connection with the Okay, you go for it, and then you can hear my POV. Okay. I love that Jodie Foster's French is so good. She dubs her own parts into French. Super bien. Comment ça se passe dans la tête juste avant de présenter le film en première mondiale ici? La trouille. Je sais pas, quelqu'un m'a dit que des fois, ils font goût. Wait, that's what you love? I'd love. I'm, okay. I'm very okay. impressed by so that. Okay, so Jodie Foster speaks French. Earlier this month, Jodie Foster did get her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Oh, so thank God. kudos so to Jodie. Now, this is so hard for me to believe. Jodie Foster has been in the business for almost 50 years. Check this out. She was at the Cannes Film Festival more than 40 mm. years ago with Taxi Driver. She was. Yep, which won the Palme d'Or and established her as a prodigal star. You see, it all goes back to the Cannes Film Festival. Okay, well, you know, by the way, I think Cannes is really amazing. It's a it's a great festival and it really does set the stage globally. Et alors maintenant, pour la première fois, Julia Roberts. Okay, now this I found hard to believe too. This was the very first time that Julia Roberts ever made it to the Cannes Film Festival. Huh. And she went barefoot. Did you see the pictures of her yeah, on the Yeah, I, I re- just read an article today that everybody, was, she was se- sort of setting the stage that now, way. Now, did you read about last year's hashtag Flatgate? No, I didn't. You know, there's some unwritten rules about what you can and cannot do on the red carpet at the Cannes Film Festival. And apparently Mm -hmm. women not only are supposed to wear shoes, they have to wear heels. And last year, 50 female stars were turned away from a screening of Carol because they were wearing flats. Oh, I remember that. Yep. Yeah. So some people think Julia Roberts might have been making a political statement at her first time at the festival. Well, you know, and by the way, since there's really not, you know, if you really look at Julia Roberts' history in terms of supporting different causes, mm-hmm. it's very meager. So if the first <laughs> thing she really wants to make a stand on is that she shouldn't have to wear heels at the Cannes Film Festival, then I think she really needs to go back and look at her priorities. Now, she was still the myself. tallest. Amongst her phalanx yeah. there, going up the red I'm carpet. Sure she was. George is there. George! Bonjour, George! Last yeah. but not least, it was not that long ago that George Clooney was saying he would never get married again. And he was the only cast member from Money Monster on the red carpet with a spouse. And what a spouse he has. She, she was lovely. I thought, her, I thought her demeanor on the red carpet and her gown and... Just, I don't know, the way she walks in the room is fabulous. I so, love... I wonder if she saw the beginning of the movie we're now going to talk about, right? We are going to talk about the movie, We right? are going to talk about it, but I just <laughs> love that Amal is a lawyer and can rock a red carpet. Hats off to her. Yeah, no question. So now we, it's time. We must get to the movie of the moment and talk about uh, Money Market or whatever. <laughs> What's the name of the movie? Money Monster. 
Here he is, the Wizard of Wall Street himself. The name is Lee Gates. The show is Money Monster. Without risk, there is no reward. Who's that guy on camera, too? You want to complain about it? Go ahead. Who is it? Anybody know? Was it a union thing? Cut the feed. Whoever's in there, turn the cameras on. I got cameras off, Patty. Turn them on. What am I going to do? Turn them on. Uh, put it up. Take it out. Put it on. How do I know it won't blow up? Because I have the detonator. My thumb comes off this trigger, and we all explode. It almost, to me, was like Jim Cramer. Yeah. Everybody's seen him. I think he's on MSNBC or has his own station or something. Mad money. Right. Merges with network. And I would think Jim Cramer probably wouldn't mind being played or spoofed by George Clooney. Well, like the character that, that uh, Clooney plays, uh, he loves any publicity. He doesn't matter how foolish it is. And so I'm sure he does love being compared to it. And I'm certainly not the first one to come up with it. But I did think it the, think the minute he came on the screen. Did you like the movie? I thought the opening was very gripping. I thought everybody played their part in terms of the cinematography, the graphics, the editing. I, of course, want to be behind anything directed by Jodie Foster and starring George Clooney, Julia Roberts, and Jack O'Connell. But I think the great um, challenge of this movie, it's always the Death Valley of Act Two. I thought about 40 minutes in, it was hard to maintain the tension. I, well, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, I, I just don't think it, it, it held us through. And I think part of that was Jody's directing. You know, she was a little bit all over the place. You can't keep going back to the same close-up face of Julia Roberts looking terrified. You know, you can't, you know, by the way, she could have shot that once and just replanted it 10 times. You know, I, I don't think that the staging and the directing in this, I think that's where it lacked. And some of the dialogue. I thought the staging and the directing were just fine. I think the weakness was with the script. Well, you know, I, I think the script was definitely lacking. And also, it was sort of hard, you know, it, it could have been better. And even the great reveal of how this guy pulled off this this uh, this heist, if you will, um, the great reveal, it was sort of like, that's it? You know, there was no... There was no nuance to it. There was no complexity to it. It was just sort of this, 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 in your face, in your face. Um, everything was expected. I got to say, Clooney and, and Julia Roberts, who are good friends in real life, they certainly look good on the screen together. They're so comfortable you know, together on the screen, don't you think? Yes, and in this movie, there's very few scenes where they're actually in the scene together. They're talking well, through that. Well, at the very that. beginning, I think they're we see the most the at the beginning, room. but you can just see their ease is really, really good. And the fact that, you know, at the beginning, you, you learn very early on, so it's not a spoiler, really, but she's already leaving the show, and she hasn't told him. Okay, you know, that should have been a little bit of a, a little bit apparent at the beginning, too, and she didn't play that well. I don't think this is Jody's finest moment, and I certainly don't think it's Julia Roberts. What about George Clooney's? Well, I just, you know, when you see him dancing at the beginning, you know, just the fact that he was willing to do that. And uh -huh. once again, where's his wife telling him he's not allowed to do those ridiculous things I tell in you front of the camera? That I really loved seeing George Clooney be this clownish figure at the beginning <laughs> with the dance moves. I mean, it was a bit over the top. Well, it was, except for that is also, you know, Jim Cramer's very big on bongs and screaming and yelling and, you know, all this drama and that's why people find him entertaining to watch. The fact that they actually invest based on that entertainment is really shocking, which is what's shocking about this film. 
The fact that people would take something like that seriously when they're taking their life savings and investing it is part of what's wrong with America today. Well, I totally agree. And that's part of the weakness with the underlying story structure is that what Sidney Lumet's film Network did back in the 1970s was talk about all these false prophets that TV was spawning. And it is a little bit difficult to believe that nowadays where you have such a clownish figure who's more entertainment than financial news, and even Julia Roberts says right at the beginning, look, we're not journalists, that somebody would take that as a profit where you would take all of your savings or your mother's inheritance and invest it on a stock tip from George Clooney wearing a sequin top hat seems a little bit unbelievable to me. Well, but it isn't unbelievable, Otoo. Would it be that you were right? Maybe it's unbelievable to you. But there are people in America who actually, on a, based on a phone call, give their money over. People, a cold call from a, a nutcase you know, somewhere halfway across the country, and people turn over their money for, for investment. It's amazing how flim-flam is alive and well in this country. It happens all the time, every day. It's a different scenario, though. George Clooney didn't personally call Jack O'Connell's character at home, but... This is what I found really interesting about the film. It actually, the genre is a hostage thriller, but at its heart, I think it's really trying to be a message movie. But the question is, what exactly is the message of the movie? Because what to me was so interesting is that the man who takes the TV set hostage, he is most berated and upbraided by his own pregnant girlfriend. You lost a lot of money when the market tanked. They tracked down his girlfriend. That was everything we had. Every last cent. What are you doing? I'm just trying to survive. She's the one who's most horrified at his actions. So if you want to say that he's a victim of corporate greed or false TV communications, his own girlfriend takes him to task the most. I, I think they're also saying that it's rigged. You know, that the system yes. is rigged and that if you think you can really make money in the system the way other people are doing, you really can't. And I, I think that's that's part of the message. And part of the message, you know, that media is controlling based on sound bites and um, information that is not necessarily factually based. People are making decisions based on entertainment value of how they're feeling when something comes in front of them on, on the screen. And this, I think, certainly speaks to that. But that's one of the reasons why I think I would tell people to go to this movie. Wouldn't you tell them to? I'm not sure I would. I would say if you're on an airplane, it's certainly a fine movie to watch on an airplane. <laughs> but what's really interesting to me is that Jodie Foster told her crew that she wanted to make something Lumet-esque, i.e. in the vein of Sidney Lumet, who made Network and made another movie, Dog Day Afternoon, in the 1970s starring Al Pacino, which was a similar story involving a hostage situation, yeah, a she, man she robbing did not a bank. Accomplish her goal. So it's as though the big short was trying to meet Network, trying to meet Dog Day Afternoon, trying to meet Inside Man. And that's the movie I really wanted to mention because I was shocked when that movie came out about 10 years ago. I would not have known it was directed by Spike Lee. It was so not a Spike Lee movie. Um, certainly the Spike Lee movie that I've enjoyed the most. It starred Jodie Foster, 
Clive Owen and Denzel Washington, and I thought that movie did a great job of maintaining the tension in a similar hostage situation. You know, for her to accomplish her goal, there'd have to be much better character development, much better writing in terms of laying out a larger plot around it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just... And every diatribe that comes out of, who pulls the gun? Jack O'Connell's character, Kyle Budwell. Everything that came out of Kyle's mouth was the same. And he needed to be able to tell a bigger story than just the one thing that happened that brought him there. You know, because the story is much bigger than he lost his inheritance in listening to Clooney's recommendations. It's a bigger story than that. Mm -hmm. And so that, again, goes back to your comment earlier about the script, but it's also in the direction. And he looked the same in every scene. You could have just made his mouth, you know, different words. I liked Jack O'Connell's acting in this. I don't think he was given that much to work with. Um, And we should probably mention here, he's the British actor who Angelina Jolie cast as the lead in her film, Unbroken, two years ago. I might be the one with the gun here, but I'm not the real criminal. It's people like these guys. I got my finger on the trigger. I'm telling you, it's rigged. The whole damn thing. But I don't know who to trust. They're stealing everything from us, and they're getting away with it, too. How's that even fair? Just keep talking to him. All right, you're good at that. I got my finger on the trigger. While, while she was limited by the fact that a good chunk of the, of the movie takes place on a, a, sta- you know, a set, on, a, on a, a newsroom set, there could have been other things going on that she could have directed, and, and the close-ups were just too close. And the, you know, when Clooney sort of you know, moves to, to Kyle's defense, almost, if you will, you know, it was just too, it was too fast and too without a better buildup to it. And, um, you know, it just, she didn't lay the groundwork. The groundwork was not laid to be a network or a dog day afternoon or anything like that. I agree. And again, I have to put the onus on the script. You know, Hollister, I was so intrigued by something you tweeted earlier this week. It was a clip of a Jodie Foster interview where she was talking about this golden <laughs> age of TV. I thought you'd like that. Yeah. I loved it. And she said, you know, because the strongest narratives these days are all in television. And I totally agree. If you take the pilot of a strong show, the character development there is immediately laid out and super interesting. So I was trying to, you know, if I were a script doctor on this film, I was trying to think what exactly would I change? And it's difficult because on the one hand, they always tell screenwriters, you have to enter a scene as quickly as possible. And they certainly did that at the beginning of this movie where they established the high pressure cooker atmosphere of producing a TV show. They immediately have though, the Jack O'Connell figure there who's managed his way onto the set armed with a gun and a suicide vest. I remember the first playwriting class I ever took, the teacher said, you know, you have to make sure that you don't blow your wad too quickly. And I thought, how are they going to maintain this for 90 minutes? There were lots of subplots that could have done that. You know, when his girlfriend, I wasn't sure whether they were actually married. I think it was his girlfriend. When she leaves Mm -hmm. the scene... She never comes back. I mean, what happened to her? She go home and cry. I she thought that was the labor? most what happened to dramatic this girl? part of the you movie. You know, I mean, they just were they, there were more characters. stories to tell where they could have added those layers, and they didn't tell them. 
And also, I think, again, I, I have to come back to the direction. But I believe that about Jodie Foster's direction. I think she, I think she goes, you know, she, she sort of has two camera angles, and that's about it, close up and far away. And I, I was not bored by the camera angles or the edits. I thought it was great graphics on the set. I thought it was great. The graphics at the beginning were awesome. They were so good. Awesome. And I thought it was very quick cuts between what Julia Roberts is looking at in the control booth and which camera to show on set. But ironically, I felt as though the script had been taken hostage. And you find out that there really is no threat, right. if you will, in the script. So any trivia around this? Any great lines you want to out here? This is the fourth feature that Jodie Foster has directed. And I loved this quote. She said, I'm interested in directing movies about situations that I've lived. So they are almost a personal essay about what I've come to believe in. And I was wondering, I don't think this is one. <laughs> after John Hinckley's assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan, she did have to take her exams at Yale in lockdown. Right. It does make you wonder where she comes down ultimately on greed and the financial industry and social disparity. Because ironically, watching the movie, I couldn't help but think, here are two of the highest paid actors in Hollywood, an industry where 95% of its members are unemployed at any given time. Yeah, well, this is, you know, no offense. You know, she certainly has never worked on Wall Street. I mean, I'm not sure she has a really inside understanding of what was going on in this movie. But I thought everybody did a good job given what they were given, you know, to, uh, and there's, you know, there's some light, light humor in there. The erectile cream was, could have been funny, you know, it was sort of clever, um, but also predictable. Where was he? Everybody knew where he was. You know, it just, it just was, there was no nuance to it. There was no, there was no sophistication to the presentation of what was a very sophisticated underlying, you know, issue. I wish that the script had been written by Aaron Sorkin, where you saw a more balanced argument on both sides for why certain things existed, but it was almost too much of a caricature. So George Clooney's character was too clownish. The characters who seemed the least believable to me were the police officers and the hostage negotiator. Yeah, they would never... It it was a little bit sort of... um, I mean, they clearly were not the sophisticated guys that would have been brought into something like this, especially with national, you know, with millions of people watching and even the scenes of the people watching, I just thought there could have been so much more that was done with them. Even if you go to black mirror and there, you know, that piece of, of people watching, there was really no interesting reaction to what they were viewing. So I'm not even sure what the point was other than she flashed to it a number of times. That's what I mean by it seemed like she just kept flashing to the same scene but it just wasn't progressing anything. So, and that is direction. That's not the script. But it's also partly the message because while millions were tuning in to this broadcast, it's also as though no one seemed to care. It was a very dystopian view of the world yeah. where, yes, we're back in the TV world where we know that the TV executives will do anything for ratings, but these celebrities were not worshipped. Their lives seemed meaningless to everybody, including themselves, which is why I was wondering where Jodie Foster was coming down on the celebrity worship phenomenon. Yeah. The answers to the questions um, seemed a little out of left field. By the way, Jodie Foster has not been heralded as a great director. If you go back and you look at, um, what was that one she did about the small kid? What was his name? Little Man Tate in 1991. 
She was still in her 20s when she made that film. Same kind of issues around direction. It's like, you know, you're water skiing over this story and the direction's not helping me understand it deep, more deeply. I, I think she should stick to in front of the camera, not behind it. I really, though, I really don't think it was the direction here. It did hold my attention for the first No, but tell me minutes. when something she's directed that you think is fabulous. She has done a couple episodes of Orange is the New Black and also an episode of House of Cards. But I think she's a great actor. You know, the actors sing her praises, and I think actors generally love working with directors who are actors themselves because they speak the same language. But here, what I was hoping for in the script was some interesting take on how we got to this That's point. That's my point. There's not, nothing about it that was exceptional or helped... Her direction did not move us forward. But But to me, that's not the direction. That's the weak act two in the screenplay. So, for example, when they leave the hostage situation, all of a sudden it becomes a little melodramatic. Right. So I've lost the ticking clock, and it it felt like a construct. Yeah, I I think the script definitely lacked. But here's another example, for example, of her direction issues. Okay, so they're walking down to interview him. So they've left the set, and now they're walking down the street. And we go back and forth on that street scene at least 10 times in the next 10 minutes. And she doesn't do it any unique or different way, nor does she bring the crowd into it properly or even the police. So you see the police, and then you see him walking with Kyle, and then you see the crowd. But the intertwining of those three groups, which was what would have given it some tension, is just not there. So you either see one, the other, or the other, but you never see them all together, so you don't really, you know, she has not directed it in a way that tells me about what was going on between everybody. The characters here literally cannot approach each other because Jack O'Connell's character will detonate the bomb if they do. Right. And to me, I was thinking, I wish I had seen more scenes, which naturally put the characters at cross purposes. For example, I would have liked to have seen Jack O'Connell's character at home. Maybe I would have liked to have seen a newborn baby where I could really feel the pressure of what he's under providing for a family while making Not $14 There's an no hour. There's no backstory to any of these characters. It's critical in a movie like this. And if you look at, you know, network, you know, the interconnection between people was, was what really, really nailed it. So, but see, in network, I think that's a great example of how we meet the characters. We're in a variety of different scenes before we're in this explosive scene on the TV set. Here, I think Money Monster started too soon on the set. Yeah, all of that, all of that notwithstanding, I think it's also how it's shot. And I don't think, I think she just shot it. Each person gets their own shot, but they don't interweave with each other in any real way. Expose everything. We both want an explanation for what went wrong. We don't know. There's not even a line in there that I could pull out to even laugh at or anything. Do you have anything? I liked the interaction. One of the few scenes where Julia Roberts and George Clooney are actually talking not through the sound booth. We are live in five minutes. You have the revisions for the opening. We're still making some changes. Am I going to get the changes before the show or after the show? You know the drill. You just point the camera my direction. We'll figure it out together. It always sounds so simple and yet so moronic. You picked out the only line that is worth remembering. (laughs) You know, Hollister, I don't want to sound too harsh about this movie because I would give it... Well, we do sound pretty harsh, my friend. We do sound harsh, and I want to just put it in perspective. It was, I had high expectations, but there were many things about it that I thought were really well done. 
Um, I would probably give it a B minus, the same grade that I gave a hologram for the king. But to be clear, that's probably the highest grade I've given a movie in quite some time. No, by the way, I think people should go to the movie. Uh, you know, I just don't think I just don't think it's going to be at, you know my top ten for 2016. But I think it's worth going to. I think it's a great date night movie. You know, it felt like Occupy Wall Street was trying to be a Hollywood thriller. Yeah. But Hollister, I'm worried that Hollywood or me or both of us are really in a movie slump. Jodie Foster's point is well taken. That narrative is so strong in TV these days that I want the best of TV on the big screen. I want to know these characters. I want them to be 360 degrees. I want to feel like they're people and not Hollywood celebrities inhabiting a role. And here, I just didn't get the sense that I was immersed in a dramatic world where I really believed these people were real. You know, it, it just didn't have the same bite. And I, it's so funny you bring that up because I was thinking about one of our, um, the one of the people who follows up very closely said that she feels that in the last few um, podcasts that we've done, we haven't liked the movies. And the problem is the big distribution movies, which we like to cover because everybody wants to be able to see the movies we're talking about, they're not great movies, but there's a lot of really good movies out there. We are merely explorers of infinity in the pursuit of absolute perfection. I saw one of the most bestest movies of the year Dude, uh, a few days ago and I put up yeah I put up a written review The Man Who Knew Infinity oh with Dev and Patel. I'm not going to spoil anything I hope you'll go and you know take a read but it really is a great movie so there are great movies out there and we're going to find the rest of them too not to worry okay so I will definitely check that out on screenthoughts.net and a plea to our listeners if there's some great movie out there that we should be checking out let us know at screenthoughts yeah. at gmail.com Okay, so can we end here with the fact that my very own Aaron Sorkin is going to do his directorial debut with Molly's Game? Did you want to read the book? No, I haven't. Have you? Well, I, I ordered it. <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> now the first that I step heard he's going to do it. So Sorkin's finished the script, and they were over in Cannes last week getting money, and they got the money, and he's going to do his first director. Yay! Wow. I know. So exciting, right? I am so curious what grade you're going to give Aaron Sorkin as a director. I know. See you next week.